Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe, recommend it to a friend, leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think. And yeah, really hope you enjoy this episode. Quick one, fellas. You probably heard a few months ago I dropped an e-com course, a very fucking guru of me, but it's not that, I promise you. Zero to one, how to start a brand from scratch with no budget, some budget, a bit of budget, take your idea from a bedroom to reality to potentially seven, eight figures in sales like I've done a few times based on my seven years of experience in the trenches and my current experience building my current brand, Space Goods. It's no bullshit, no frills. We've had like 75 people go through so far. Not a single person has asked for a refund. Plenty of people have actually built some seriously impressive shit. Covers every aspect of the business, not just the front end stuff like most gurus on YouTube and Twitter are talking about, not just product, market and all that shit, but the real shit, the logistics, the back end, the supply chain, the customer service, the finances as well. This covers the whole spectrum, every part, 12 hours of video. If you're interested in scaling a brand, zero to one, actually turning our idea finally into a reality, then click the link below, go check out Learn Real Commerce course and let me know what you think. I'd be glad to have you in there. Let's fucking go. 11 months on back with the first ever guest on the Midnight Pod and the first co-host from the infamous first fucking Neon Beach scandal episode. We have Tyler Newman yet again on the Midnight Pod for what I think is episode 45 or something like that. Episode, maybe episode one of season two, depending on when I put this out. I mean, time has flown by. I remember doing that first pod like it was yesterday. Hmm. And I was living with a different person probably about two stone heavier and didn't even know what my next business was going to be you were you were a different person do you think completely like mentally physically emotionally why did no one tell me i was getting fat because you weren't fat you were just looking yeah i wasn't never fat but like looking you were, back you weren't just the seven percent body fat that you are now yeah it's actually mad looking back to be fair time is fucking weird and it's it, in the it's in the face as well that you see it most with you Maybe when you yeah, hold, I've you noticed that hold a lot of fat in your face. It's probably all that fucking, all that mewing and chewing and bone smashing, bro, bullshit from Twitter. It's worked. It definitely does something. What's going on with you? Um, you've you've hibernated the past few months. I, I I see you, not hibernating, but you're definitely fucking grinding more. Um, definitely more of a so a, quite a transitional phase, I think, in my career, and it feels like. There's not a lot that's actually happened, but in the background there is, and because obviously I'm in the real estate game, a lot of the the bigger deals and the stuff that we're working on now, there's such it's such long time horizons, there's such long leading times, so it can look like for months and months and months and months nothing's happening on the surface, but obviously behind the scenes, you're um, squabbling away, inching closer. So, I mean, the main the main things in terms of what's happened in the last year is. Uh, well, the main one is launched a new brand, Luxury Property Partners, and I'm sure we can dive into that. Um, that was launched, I want to say, maybe two months ago now, and going really well, and that's kind of a big opportunity that I'm pursuing. 
and then just on the property development stuff, we're we're about to start construction on um, a site in Cambridgeshire that we agreed like last year. But again, it's one of these things where on the surface probably looks like nothing's changed, but in the background, obviously we've been like redesigning the whole same thing. outfit still. Same outfit still. Um, but yeah, I mean, just been yeah, just same old property deals. You're the only close friend that I don't really know what the fuck you actually do because I'm not in property. So you have luxury property partners and then you have the education education business. Um, so right? there's two things. Yeah. Well, well. so essentially kind of like three, three kind of separate entities. So I've got my property business, um, Newman Rose, which is the brand that we use to kind of develop the sites that we're working on. So, I mean, just at the minute, we're about to start construction on a site to build... Um, 17 units in Cambridgeshire. That's like 12 of them are nice, big, detached homes. Um, total value of the site would be like eight and a half to nine million once it's built. Um, and then we're taking another two sites through planning, so like getting the planning permission on it. Once we've got the planning permission, obviously we'll start construction. Um, again, that's just all stuff that happens behind the scenes that you can't share on social media uh, for whatever reason. Um, NDAs and and it's just they're just drawings and and paperwork that you file with a council and some land that's got nothing on it and so that's that's newman rose we then got an education business and and newman rose is my business partner rosie who Mm. is um my amazing business partner absolute wizard when it comes to property development like just the knowledge that she has is like ridiculous especially for her age and then we also have a property education business, primarily focused on teaching property development, Rosie being kind of the head coach that teaches the main things like construction, planning strategy, acquisition. I coach a little bit on the finance side of things and, and operations, because that's kind of where my strengths lie in the raising finance, structuring the finance for the acquisition. And that's that education business serves two purposes. One, cash flow because it is it's it's earned income it's active income it's you know we're we're selling a uh, essentially like coaching helping people get a specific result and then it also allows us to build an audience and then one of the ways we leverage that audience is we raise money from people that want to work with us invest with us the fund a lot of our property deals so yeah it's um it's that and then luxury property partners is, is separate rosie's not involved in that that's with another business partner uh, uh, Damien who's an incredible agent and then also my, my sister's involved as well so it's kind of like a family thing that's attached to it how do you manage three businesses or because they're all in the same realm do you kind of just view it as one thing with three entities um definitely a they point, all link they, they, they all link but it's also I am at a point where I'm kind of starting to feel the the constraints of the limited bandwidth that I have in terms of time and, and focus. But the answer is really just having kind of great business partners and, and great team. So with the property development business, Rosie's incredible with that. We've got not just her, but kind of a great team of professionals and contractors that we employ to kind of do a lot of the hard work. The education business, again, got a great team on that. So. Definitely, and then with luxury property partners, Damien, business partner, the agents, we've got ridiculous talent. It's my, my role is really build the team that can build the business now. 
like I've built the kind of foundations of all the businesses and now it's just I've got to be able to manage the team hire the right talent and just coordinate rather than be on the laptop grinding it's just a lot of like zoom calls and mm. managing people if you had to pick one which one would you pick you have to um, sack two of them right now he's thinking who's going to offend the least no so that's a good question and and the, like all these I'm like so aware of the fact that in a perfect world I and mean, there's a part of me that's jealous of people like yourself that literally just have one business one thing one well mission. I mean even me though I'm like fucking trying to take the pod more seriously so that feels like a business in itself True. I've got this pool party thing I want to do yeah. and then Fred's telling me don't fucking do that can't focus on your brand yeah I mean but there is like a there's like a 10 year plan behind all of these businesses and they all kind of form different pieces of the puzzle that make up that 10 year plan um, Luxury Property Partners is a brand that I want to get in and out of in the next five to five six years um, build to exit I don't plan on taking sort of any distributions or, or income from that just um, oh, of course I'll take some but the goal is to have a liquidity event in, in five years time and we've got a really clear plan and proof of concept on, on how we can do that and so for me that's like a way to build a certain level of wealth over that but then like longer term time horizons I, I can still see myself playing the property investment development game at 50 years old in, in 30 years time because it's just mm -hmm. that is a long term play and for me now it's like I want to work with great people great partners great investors I'm not so fussed about how much I can make it's more about how much I can learn and yeah I'm just willing to play the long term game with it and the kind of wealth that you can compound over decades and decades means that hopefully in 30 years time there's some nice fruits of the labour yeah definitely which business makes my money now and in the future or are they like you said have different purposes one um, being cash flow so so the the education business makes great cash flow but there's like no enterprise value mm. maybe we could if we wanted to build it as, as an asset for enterprise value we could and kind of pivot it away from personal brands remove ourselves and replace ourselves with other coaches but even then like the opportunity of that isn't that significant it might it probably won't even it's just the market isn't there for it to be something where you could have a huge exit and make you know a decent uh, sum with so that makes great cash flow but it's it's the the property developments that over the next 18 months of profit that they will spit out will, will completely um, outsize the um, the education business and then luxury property partners is like at the minute there is revenue but because of the business model and I don't know how much we'll dive into that it's it's very delayed so like if we hire a new agent now that operates under the brand it's going to be six months before they're generating like any revenue for us and probably 12 to 24 months before they're generating like the revenue you would expect so yeah they all make money in different ways but like as as you know like cash you don't get wealthy from cash flow mm. or income or dividends or salary it's it's building something that has it's, it's building an asset either as equity in a business or assets in terms of investment portfolio whether that's real estate or uh, public equities whatever yeah it's very true <clears throat> I guess that's why yeah I kind of view the pod as like a cash flow business yeah because it is and, and you then, need cash flow to have fun right but it also yeah but it also plays into each other like do you think you having like that personal brand in that space and I feel like you push that less now uh, yeah I could push it a lot more 
because like even with your Instagram disabled, you didn't weren't really bothered for a while. No. But you, has that helped like meet business partners and shit? Because I always say, oh, the pod's really been great for networking for me. Because now I'm starting to build this like mini cult, and like people that invested in my business have been on the pod, and that was when I met them and all this sort of shit. Um, Does yeah, social obviously you're, you're you're kind of trying to be the UK Grand Cardone Cardone in my mind. Uh, I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't say that, but like a mini version. Social media is just like networking on steroids and the for luxury property partners that business model is is led by recruitment the more agents we can recruit operate under that brand that comes from social media those those recruitment leads those people that want to work with us because they see what we do on social media they see the types of property that we deal with they see the results we can get for our clients and yeah they want to come work for us our investors i mean we've raised um for our property deals well into the seven figures now and and all but one investor and that one investor only put in 50k all the other investors we never met um prior to them investing it was all just the no like and trust that's built up from mm. creating content and personal brand and then watching our, our youtube and attending webinars and podcasts so that is mad it is nuts things yeah. have changed it's part of what we teach as well in in um when anyone asks for advice on, on like how to get started on property is like there are kind of a few main things you need to be doing one looking for deals and um, two speaking to investors and three just creating content because with a personal brand you can raise more money from investors and you can find more deals because like my off market um, my off market like if I want to look at off market deals then I get more deals sent to me just because of personal brand. Like two of the deals we were buying right now just came to us purely from social media. The investors came from social media. It's like nuts. It is crazy. The, the luxury property partners business then on that because mm-hmm. there's competition in that area, I guess, which maybe we'll speak about. I won't. Um, yes and no, yeah. The model on that, mm-hmm. could anyone watching or even include myself start a business like that or is that you need it's highly regulated whatever like what what is the model first and and how would one go about starting a business is, um, it, is it just knowledge that's needed or is it so a lot of other shit because so some of the properties are mad that i've seen listed okay so to enti- like completely like pre-frame this for for background for those that maybe might be listening to, for the first time so my my family business is a state agency grown up like in a state agency my first job was an estate agent and like when you're just immersed in an industry from before you can even like walk mm. you just obviously you know you, you pick it up and so working as an agent I talked about it on the on the last podcast but th- there was a point in my career I was like okay like I want to move away as soon as I was like 16 17 I was like I, I, what I don't want to be doing is working in the industry that my family's grown up in. I want to do my own thing. I want to say that I've property investing, property development, separate to a stage. I've, I've built up something that, um, built up something there so I can, um, yeah, so I can like prove to myself, like I can, I can do something on my own, which I've done. And I mean, I mean, I owe everything to my parents, had most amazing upbringing, support, the values that they taught me, um, just incredible. And yeah, hundred percent wouldn't be who I am or how I am without them. But, and so my dad's always been, I mean, I'll say like successful in, in what he does, 
depends how you measure success, but in, in the Midlands, in Warwickshire, um, growing a business there. And then I've seen kind of what other people around me have done in the industry. And the opportunity arose last year in 2021, in like November, I was out in Dubai. I was at my family dinner table. Like we're all in, my, my sister was living out in Dubai at the time. My parents had gone out to visit. I was flying out to go see them. And I was just saying to my dad, like, you need to go national with this. You need to like, let's think bigger, go bigger. And then I was just like, you know, what, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it or we'll do it. Mm. And I said to my sister, we'll all do it. And and I came up with the name of the company. Because your sister, for context, was watching, she has the Matt and Summer YouTube channel. Yeah, so her and her boyfriend massive. have like 300,000 subscribers on YouTube, huge social media following. So I thought they could bring a lot of value to this. Literally everyone's well. in property in this family. Yeah, yeah every, It's like the perfect triangle. It's, yeah, it's like the, yeah. Um, so essentially it's an estate agency business and we as luxury property partners essentially provide the opportunity for other agents to go out and list and sell houses and earn a significant, significantly higher income than a traditional estate agency. So to put it into context, and there's many reasons why a traditional estate agency is broken and this new model fixes it, but a traditional high street agent, corporate agent, they'll have an office on the high street the agents are working, they will go out, sell a house, they'll charge 1% to sell the house. And then from that, I'll sell a 200,000 pound house, for example, and they'll get a 2,000 pound fee. And then the, the agent that's done that will then get like 15% of their commission. So they make like 300 pound for selling one house. And one, they're charging too low of a fee. In the UK, you know, the average fee that estate agents charge is like 1%, whereas in the US and Australia, it's like 6%. Jesus, And there's many reasons for that. And so the opportunity for agents that work in a traditional model isn't great. Like the maximum they might be able to earn is 50, 60,000 pounds per year if they're like really grinding six days a week, they're top 1%. And then maybe more in London if, you know, could go into the early six figures, but that's when they're selling like five, six, seven, 10 million pound property. Um, but the new model and how it works in the US and Australia is estate agents receive like... Like Selling Sunset, all those programs. Yeah, like Selling Sunset. They receive a high percent, uh, a significant percentage of the fee. So Luxury Property Partners, an example, on a two million pound house, will charge two and a half percent to sell the property, which is like a 50,000 pound fee. And then the, the agent that's gone out, put the property on the market, executed on the marketing strategy, found a buyer, negotiated the offer, progressed it through to an exchange of contracts and completion. They'll receive 50% of that fee income. So they'll make £25,000 for, for selling that one property. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, and so then suddenly the earning potential for these agents is, you know, some will earn 150000 a year, some will earn 250000 some will earn 500 k It won't be long before there's agents, like it's normal for agents to earn seven figures in a year. And when there's an opportunity like that, suddenly you can attract and retain much better talent. So one of the reasons traditional estate agency is broken is because the opportunity really isn't that great. When someone is top talent and they want to progress to the next level, they want to earn more money, they have to leave the industry and go work in recruitment or B2B sales or something. And so you just find that that, that there isn't top talent that stays within the industry. Now with this new model of agency where they can earn, you know, it's a level 10 opportunity, suddenly level 10 talent is attracted to either come and work in the industry. But we have people coming work, working from, 
uh, working for us that are previous business owners that might have made, you know, a bit of money in business, but then like, they just know they'll learn more kind of being a, a self-employed agent. So they're self-employed, they're contracted to luxury property partners. And essentially what they get from us is they just get, like I say, the, the platform, be able to sell it, the training, um, the back-end support is massive. And so they can just do what they enjoy doing, which is going out, speaking to sellers, marketing properties. So if you have one property though, like how do you attribute the sale to a certain agent? Or is it, is, is, so, is it not like a bidding? Is it not uh, a war No, so, so one agent will just have their own client base. They'll deal with their own properties. So mm. um, yeah, they just deal with their one client. And it's not, it's not like an agent will go out, put it on the market, then any agent can sell it. It's just, if there's a seller, a client that's selling a 10 million pound house, and they instruct John to sell the house, John at Luxury Property Partners. John deals with all leads, um, all negotiations, everything, because that, that seller's instructed John to sell it. And how do you get the listings in the first place, especially as a new brand? Is that just a reputational thing? Like, because um, I would just associate, I don't know, the best listings go to Savills. So, yeah, so they obviously like- And, and who's making that decision anyway? Is it, is it the seller at the house? The, the seller will make the decision on who they call out. And so like Savills and Knight Frank have built up a huge amount of brand awareness over the last what, decades. Mm. And they have been traditionally the go-to. But actually Savills and Knight Frank now, like residential sales is actually quite only a small portion of their overall business. And I don't think they actually allocate a lot of resources and, and training to it anymore. They just literally live off the brand reputation that they've built. Um, but the first is social media. So this new wave of agents that are killing it, like they just crush it on social media. They generate all the leads from social media. The second way is you can just go out and literally knock on doors. Um, that's how I used to start. That's how most people start. So they'll literally go out, they'll go to an area. I, I, they can print off a list before. They can just drive to an area, go on right move, click current location and see what properties are for sale. In, in our case, above a million pounds. Go knock on the door and say like, hey, I'm an agent. Obviously, you don't want to go straight for the sale. Say, like, can I help you? I see you're moving. Maybe I can help you find a property. By the way, how are you going on selling yours? Maybe the first time around, they won't invite you in. Second, third time, fourth time around, they're going to be like, you know what? Yeah, we're sick of our agent. Let, like, let's have a conversation. Mm. You get in the door that way. A third way is through kind of like direct mail. So one thing our agents can do, and this is something we provide for them, is they can create like a direct mail card or, or an A4 letter that they can write, and we can literally send that letter to any properties that are for sale within a certain area, any properties that are kind of G and H council tax bans, we you know we're in the price bracket we want to deal with that maybe haven't sold in the last eight years and the letting say anything can just say, hey, look, like just want to introduce myself. I'm in the area. If you're ever thinking of selling, let me know. If you want to find out just what your property's worth, let me know. And then the, the, the other way is just buyer work. So you get one listing. Let's say it's a two million pound house. You one of the best marketing strategies for that property is, let's say the property's worth two and a half million. You advertise it aggressively, it offers over two million. You get loads of attention, loads of leads. People think, well, that's good value. You do an open house, like four weeks later after a four week marketing strategy where just one Saturday, you've opened the house up, you've got music playing, you've got a chef that's cooked some canapes and you just have people come and view the property. And those people you have conversations with them and you say, hey, look, like, thanks for coming along by the way what's the situation with your property do you need help selling it and just by like showing that you've got great results and at the open house there's going to be people that are trying to sell their property haven't had a viewing for two months and then they see that you've managed to get 20 people around to view this property in the space of four weeks they're going to be pretty impressed and think hey like 
say it's my property like hey Tyler can you come do the same for us so there's loads of ways I mean I could mm. do a full two hour training session on that that 15 million pound listing that yeah. was on YouTube how did that come about social media funnily enough As in actually, they DM'd you or what um, so they so Damien my business partner I've done a couple of videos of Damien on YouTube kind of introducing him and his background he's a great example because he he's only been an agent selling property for 18 months maybe coming up to two years now previously he he's he just bought an Aventador so he's originally from the UK he lived in the US for eight years had a construction business out there which was a multi seven figure business did really well came back to the UK saw in the US kind of you know in the US to be a real estate agent they call it is quite a respected profession came to the UK found the self-employed model where it's like a good opportunity to earn good income and just went balls to the wall absolutely sent it um, had amazing results and so he's who we've launched a business with so that 15 million pound listing that was the day we launched Damien and I did like a, a big launch video and then someone saw the launch video and, and DM and Damien said hey look I've got this 15 to 20 million pound house we want to sell do you want to come around sell it um, so yeah and to put it like perspective that property if it sells for 20 million the market, the evidence suggests the market value of the house is between 15 and 20 depending on how you judge it at the end of the day it's down to the market to decide if that house sells for 20 million the fee that the sellers will pay is is five hundred thousand pounds and so the listing agent will receive half of that two hundred and fifty thousand pounds we're selling one property so 2.5 percent fee is it yeah is that right yeah mm-hmm. and is that is that high or not is that standard it's it is high and so one of the other reasons estate agency is broken in the UK is agents previously and still do it's it's very much like commodity based pricing so it's like which agent's prepared to do it for the cheapest so mm. it's suddenly it's like oh well this guy's going to sell your house for 1% Mr and Mrs seller I'll do it for 0.9% 0.8% but for like a service based business people don't want to go for the cheapest they want to go for the best and the the best agents that really understand the game they understand that these kind of clients they, they want to pay for value and if you can get five million above the asking price they're happy to pay it and so it's all about what's the net figure in the seller's back pocket after the sale is done and what would be the process for him to sell that house then would he have a a black book of leads already no so so any agent that has a little black book is 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 rogue and you should stay away the the estate agents the the agent representing a property they are acting in the best interest of the seller and that often means getting them the best price in the shortest amount of time. <clears throat> so again, this is like a two hour presentation you do to a seller, but in 30 seconds is it comes down to presenting the profit, uh, property as best you can. And that's with one, if it needs to be staged properly, like putting in new furniture, painting walls, whatever, get the property looking the best you can within a reasonable budget. Then getting amazing video done, amazing photography done, amazing brochures done, like really presenting and showing the property in its best possible light. The next step is then just getting maximum exposure for it. Like the more eyeballs you can have on something that's for sale, the more competition you're going to create. And that's that's a goal. You want to create competition amongst buyers because that's when you can drive the price up and have people bidding against each other. So what a lot of agents will do is they'll just stick it on Rightmove and, and Zoopla and, and wait for the phone to ring. <clears throat> but the reality is that at that price point, actually the majority of buyers aren't actively looking on the portals mm. because if someone's buying a, 
15, 20 million pound house, right? They they might really live in that area. They might really live in that town, that village, and they and they love that town and village and they've got no reason to move. They've got the, the local pub, which they know everyone, they know all the neighbors, they won't want to move, but they've never had a good enough incentive to sell their current property or move elsewhere. And so these people, what you need to do is obviously you need to make them aware the property's for sale. One of the ways you do that is social media and, and put some, some money behind it and, and spend obviously targeting that local area. The other thing is kind of like direct mail cards. So we'll do an open house invitation and we'll invite all the properties in the local area to the open house or make them aware the property is for sale. And what you find is these people, they say, oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll come along, we'll have a look, you know, we know and love the area. And suddenly now we've got a reason that we might want to move or they might know somebody. And so they're the main ways. And the third thing is just getting the price right because you can do all the marketing in the world if you've priced the property too high, no one's going to be interested. And a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, you know what, if I want to sell it for, if I want to sell a house for 5 million, I'll put it on at six because people are going to chip me down on the offers and mm. try and negotiate me down, which they will. But the problem is when you overprice a property, it's going to be stale. It's going to sit on the market for ages. And then once people have seen that property's been on the market for six months, hello, mate. He's allergic to dogs. <laughs> um, my God, he's very friendly, isn't he? <laughs> he's overly friendly. Um, he's once, trying to poison you. Once people see the property's been on the market for six months, they're going to think, why is it not sold? Why has no one else bought it? And then, and then they're also going to make you a, a crappy offer and it's going to be self-fulfilling that you're going to get less than the, what the, the property's worth. Best way to do it, to sell any property, is how I've sold all of my properties in the past. And I genuinely believe this with like the most conviction in my body is you advertise a property for sale like 10 to 15% below the market value. And then you just generate so much interest and you create a competitive environment amongst buyers. You work the offers up and then suddenly you can have three, four, five offers on a table all from different buyers. One might be cash, one might be in a chain, one might need a mortgage, but it's a higher amount. But then you've got options and you can just go with whatever the best offer is. And then if the deal falls out of bed, you've got other buyers you can go straight back to you've got like an abundance how long do they typically take to sell is it is there a correlation between price and taking longer or is it not well like that um yes and no what the fuck is this space goods spacegoods.com rainbow dust version one my newest entrepreneurial econ brand venture i spent six months in the trenches building this shit from scratch we launched six weeks ago what's it all about the next generation wellness brand with a long-term vision to essentially consumerize the pending psychedelic consumer goods market, which might sound absolutely ridiculous. We're not quite there yet. The market's massively illegal. But what is this? Rainbow Dust version one is an all-in-one mushroom and adaptogenic blend designed to unlock your supernatural self. Essentially, experience a sharper focus, sustained energy, and like calm throughout the day. It's an all-in-one powder. Tastes like fucking hot chocolate. Tastes delicious. Works great. Looks great. Feels amazing. Essentially, the broader concept here was to legally imitate a psychedelic microdose and like I said, experience those symptoms. You can mix it with anything, brownies, bake brownies with it, mix it with your coffee, have it without coffee, replace your coffee, put it into a protein shake. It's super fucking versatile. It tastes great. It replaced the stack of supplements I was previously taking, but you need to try this shit. It would definitely change the way you work, get you into that deep workflow. I obviously think that myself, plenty of a thousand plus first customers think the exact same shit. It's not just a pretty packaging. It actually works really fucking well. Keto, vegan, all that good shit. Trust me, you need to try it for yourself. Let's scale the shit to the moon. Spacegoods.com. Get on your Rainbow Dust subscription and see how you fucking feel. Let's do it for the boys. Spacegoods.com.
yeah, there's the, the buyer pool. The pool of buyers gets smaller and smaller and smaller the higher the price you go. If you were to launch a property for sale tomorrow at 100 million pounds, the amount of buyers in the entire world at that point is is slim. But um, most properties, properties will get the most and the best interest in the first two to three months max of being launched to the market. And so it's important you capitalize on on that. I think I asked you this before as well, and maybe in the first episode, but like I, I always just go on fucking right move and look at like ridiculously expensive houses. Mm. And I think a, a few times I've definitely like just put like inquiries in to see if they come back to me. Yeah. <clears throat> so like firstly, a properties of that level are typically paid for in cash? Or yeah. is it, because obviously, I don't know, I would imagine most properties otherwise are mortgaged, like gen, for, for you know, the general market. At, at the kind of 10 mil plus price point, or even five mil plus, yeah, there's, there's definitely, certainly a lot more cash buyers because those kind of buyers. Liquidity events. Yeah, and the value of the property in proportion to their net worth is a lot smaller. So someone buying like their yeah. first home at 200,000 pounds, the chances are in that if they've got help to buy mortgage on it, they've put like the majority of their life savings into that deposit. Yeah. At five million pounds, they might've just sold their business for 50 million quid or 10 million quid or 50 million quid and they wanna buy it cash. There are, there are still a lot of people that have, um, that understand obviously the importance of capital allocation and would rather put their money in investments and, and finance their main residence or they've got great relationships with banks where they can just get cheap cheap debt. So, um, but yeah, a lot of high net worth guys. And if I, if I message Damien as a potential customer, just completely bullshitting, like what what are the steps to to filter people in terms of like the funnel and the, like people that are actually serious buyers? Because is there, is there a lot of tire kickers in the more luxury um, area, or is that is that, is not the case? There is. You don't even when you go to a car garage, it's the same sort of thing. Like yeah. if you don't rock up in a nice car, they're not going to let you test drive a nice car. There, I mean, there is, there is that. The, the first step is always just a verbal conversation to qualify them. You know, what's what's your situation with the property? What is it you're looking for? And just asking kind of these open questions, like qualifying questions. You can you've been in the game long enough, you can start to get an inkling as to like, okay, um, who's legit, who's not. But then really it comes down to qualifying the buyers and actually getting f like evidence of their ability to purchase, so proof of funds. It's up to the agent whether or not they wanna do that, but for the higher value properties, then yeah, for sure, you, you don't wanna be, like I, I, just to cover for Damien, I haven't, I haven't shown clients around a property in like three years, but last Friday I went and did a viewing at the 50 million pound house to show some clients around as a second time viewing it. It took four hours to show them around the house. Fucking and hell. So, and not only it took me four hours, it's the seller um, had to get one of their team to open God knows how many doors in the property and the stables and the outbuildings and turn all the lights on before the viewing and then turn them all off and knock all the doors after the viewing. It's like a massive process. So you don't want to waste your time as an agent or the seller's time bringing someone around that you haven't properly qualified. That was your first viewing in three years and it was on that house. Did yeah. you wing it? It was like a lot of prep. No, um, no to, to, to show someone around a house is, is super simple because there isn't much skill in, in showing someone a property because like this is the kitchen, this is the but kitchen. But did, did you know the layout and stuff? Um, so I 
Um, I got there an hour before and familiarised myself. But it was their second time viewing it. So I said, guys, like, you've been here before. <laughs> I was completely it's honest. It's like a 4D experience. <laughs> Is he going to want me to cuddle him? Just come over here. Opus. Come here, you little cunt. There you go. Come here. Hey. You've got the mushroom. Spawn space goods, puppy. In a, no, in, in that instance, I just said to him at the start, I said, hey guys, like, you've been here uh, once before. You know the house. You're here to view it a second time. I'll stay out of your way. Like, I'm not going to... There's nothing worse than... When it's you're, code for, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I just, I just said, I was like, look, I'm covering for Damien. And I will just... Like, if your clients look around a property that you potentially want to spend 15 million on, the last thing you want is some estate agent. I don't even like, I've, I can't believe I referred to myself as a state agent. Yeah. That felt, felt so strange. But yeah, it's like lingering around behind you. I was like, I'm going to give you guys all the space you need. I'll be here. The skill is in kind of pre-framing the negotiation that's about to happen after the viewing. So setting their expectations in terms of where the price needs to be, what other interest there is, and handling that conversation. That's where the skill is. Hmm. Showing someone around a property, like anyone can do that. Just opening doors and... Do you think you're close to selling that? Um, like, like how many seriously potential buyers would come for a property like that? Yeah, yeah, that that will sell in the next several weeks for sure. Yeah, yeah. Nice big healthy fee. So, so half that goes to the agent, and then half to half half, half we retain that within the business, but that would be reinvested into to marketing and growing a team and and whatnot. So, how many agents you got now under that business? So only, I mean, we're and how do you expand that? So we're five months in, no, I say five months in, we're, we're two months in, we've got five now and hoping to double that by the end of this month actually, which is kind of the pipeline we've got. But the goal has always been for the first 10, I mean, this is an indication of how early, early on we are in this business. The first 10 is we really wanna be very strict with our gatekeeping and who we let in because that first 10 that we hire is gonna set the precedent for the level of talent, the type of talent, the culture we want to build, we want to make sure that first time we hire is, is right. We've turned a lot of people away. A lot of people applied from kind of other competing businesses. Um, but yeah, the first people we've hired have either got existing agency experience where they've built multi six figures in a year at their previous role, or they're an existing business owner that's generated at least like multi six figures in revenue. Because if someone's one of those two, that gives us a good enough indication they've got the kind of personality traits and the skills that we can then build on and develop to get them into the the best performing agent they can be. How, how do you find these people? And how, how many people are also applying if they are applying um, per position? On, on, at the minute, the, the strategy is, is, is very organic. It's just people that have seen what we're doing on socials, have reached out, they've seen the kind of the launch video and content that we've created explaining the model and the mission we have for the business and word of mouth. At some point, obviously beyond this first 10, once we've trained this 10 and we wanna then push to the next level, it's just gonna be uh, pay traffic and then recruiters. We'll just have kind of an in-house team that are just on LinkedIn and reaching out to people, setting up conversations yeah <laughs> my fucking dog sorry <laughs> he's gone and grabbed an athletic greens pouch the healthiest dog ever <laughs> the fuck is this cunt doing he just gets weirder every fucking week and you can hear him chewing every episode 
how big do you want to take it? You say five years to an exit. It's obviously two months old. How many agents would that be? Do you think at that point? Um, a, like, a minimum of five hundred agents. And how much revenue in like fees? Is is that how you look at revenue in a business like that? Is it fees, gross fees? Is that um, basically the model? So, for for this model, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but give away for secrets. the sake of the most sixteen-year-olds watching, we're going to steal your model. Um, yeah, I mean, so. The t- for, for me, as as the kind of operator behind the scenes, it's um, I'm not on the front lines. I'm not going out listing, selling property. I'm just more more involved in the operations and back end side of things. Two most important metrics are the number of agents and then the revenue per agent mm. per month. So the goal is 500 agents, and then I know if the agent is good, they can be generating on average about 20,000 pounds per month in fee income. So that might be they sell one house with a 40 grand fee in a two month period, it might mean they sell one a month with a 20,000 pound fee. So that would be 10 million pounds a month, which it's just getting to the 500 agents is a hard part. Getting the agents to generate revenue is with the right training and resources and lead gen is, is the easy part, but. So call it hundred million a year in revenue. Like have there been similar businesses in this space that have been acquired or have reached that sort of scale? Because this is a completely new model coming to the UK, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't come up with this model. It's something actually my old man has has been doing a long time. Um, but it's definitely within the last since Purple Bricks launched, which I mm. want to say was well, since Purple Bricks were big, maybe like five years ago, that really accelerated the transition to the self-employed model. And now there are are other brands doing it, like Keller Williams, EXP a lot more other kind of boutique agencies as well. So because it's new, there hasn't been any significant liquidity events, but you can look over to like the US and Well, the US is always like five years ahead. Uh, yeah, In like every sure. industry. Yeah, 100%. Even like with e-com. Even with and real estate and real estate investing and yeah, we're very far behind. How many people are involved shareholder wise uh, have you have you got investors in LPP as well no but you not just bootstrapped. require that um, because bootstrapped to their own cash yeah and do you think the other business Neiman Rose mm-hmm. prop development business is that acquirable in the same way or does this one excite you more because it's a more modern opportunity so I mean so Newman Rose, that that's evolving in, into so Newman Rose is like we've got the development arm, which is like ground up construction where we acquire land, build from the ground up. But to do that at significant scale, it gets um, significantly more risky. I mean, if you look at some of the the most successful real estate investors, that are kind of top billionaires, um, Blackstone guys, the US guys, they all they all talk about how they hate ground up construction because it's so risky. And instead, they just buy existing assets that that's like a good location. Why is it so risky? Because the build could go wrong. Uh, be yeah, because a lot can over, go wrong with build, co- cost of materials. You don't secure your, your exit strategy, which is, you know, you may not get the prices you want to achieve. Um, it could be delays. There's so much bureaucracy, bureaucracy with like planning permission and, and whatnot. You've only got to look at, um, for the for the bank debt, the cost of finance or the interest rate that they charge for a development loan versus a commercial loan to buy an existing asset. You know, for a development loan, you might be paying 
I think one of our loan facilities is 9%. Whereas if I wanted to go buy an existing commercial asset right now, I could get debt of 4%. So the banks have, the banks have priced the risk and that's, that's the same. It's always been that way. So yeah, it's just inherently more risky, but where, what we want to transition to and what we're in the process of doing is setting up sort of an equity fund where we can buy existing commercial assets, but the difficulty has been compliance, which hopefully we've, uh, we've solved, which is good. Yeah. Fucking hell. A lot of this property shit goes over my head. Probably I'll never do it. But you will at some point. Done. How does your day to day look now? I know you spend a lot of time fucking working um, with a nice view, I might add. I mean, wearing the same shit as well. I swear you're going like full Steve Jobs mode or something. Oh, wears black jeans Mark and then I've tape through a few sweatshirts and t shirts yeah, throughout the week. I do the same with, with um, shit shirts. I just wake up around. Um, seven half seven shower sit at my desk um, and work and then I mean just one thing I, I do which is kind of probably the most important thing is I don't do any calls or zoom calls before really 12 or at the latest 1pm and so that kind of morning is just where I've got the most energy the most focus and I can just do the deep work and then as soon as yeah, as soon as 12, 1 p.m. hits, then I've got calls booked in, which is then just takes me until the afternoon, late afternoon, and then I train in the gym, and then, yeah, before I sleep, type any loose ends. If you're not doing calls before one, I, I would imagine that your work is very call and, like, people-centered. So it's getting it's, more so and more, yeah. What is that deep work if it's not calls? Um, what do you spend five, six hours So doing? this is the thing. A lot of it at the minute is just admin, Mm. paperwork like this morning as an example um the banks one of the, the bank that we're about to draw down like a huge development loan on they just want so much like paperwork and uh evidence of like bank statements and they want a personal that. guarantee with your soul assigned literally to it. and then they want us to and then uh, finances finance is the main thing and then i have to figure out okay if we're getting this um, this development loan we're raising this amount of equity just looking at yeah numbers just plugging in what how much we need to raise from investors and do you split your day or week by entity no 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 like does it just blend into one it blends into one do, do you try and split it at all L luxury property partners right now is about 10-15% of my time Right now, that will change. Mm. It's the I just I just. So do where's the, the other eighty five percent, and how's that split? Oh my god, I can pull my calendar up if you want. It's just um. Right, so I mean, right now, if we're talking like these this these last couple of weeks, it's just we're finalizing off finalizing a round of investment from investors, and so just moving money around, tying up like getting answers to questions that they might have asked. Today I had to get another thing I had to do today was um, have a call for an hour with the solicitors to go over a shareholder agreement for some investors and make sure that's right and it lines up with a previous shareholder agreement for a separate classification of shares hmm. of investors in that company. So yeah, just that kind of admin. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of admin recently. It's, and, and that's like one thing you need to then think, how can you hire someone to replace that work? Like yeah. paying invoices. Yeah, shit like that. 
paying invoices is something I find myself wasting too much time on at the minute. You'll always find something to spend more time on though, isn't it? Like you can outsource or delegate and then think of becoming a fucking big dog and then there's something else. Yeah. You'll always be a, that Don sat at the fucking desk grinding yeah. away. If it's what we love. Do you love it? Or do you love the idea of getting very rich in the process? Because um, I ask myself this a lot. I think maybe I lied to myself that I love all of it. When actually I just like the idea of a pink cullinan with stars on my fucking ceiling. Definitely. Uh, probably Sometimes. early in my 20s, in like late teens, it was 90% driven by wanting the outcome. And then once you've had like, enjoyed some fruits of your labor, you then realize that actually you just, otherwise you constantly be chasing the next goal, the next thing, the next car, watch, house, whatever you want to buy. And then, yeah, you just kind of have to realize, okay, if I want to play this game for the next 10, 20, 30 years, you've got to love it. So, so yeah, I, I just, I do only do things now that I generally enjoy doing, which I do. You got rid of the Lambo. Yeah. Was that a coming of age thing where you've realized probably similar to a lot of people that that is a fleeting period of joy? I think everyone's got to go through it. I mean, we've all been through it. Um, you realise that the back pain and fucking parking tickets aren't necessarily worth it. Long, long story short, I just found myself complaining about it. And then you, you kind of catch yourself and you think, why am I complaining about driving what was once my dream car that I dreamt about for many years? That's the problem with achieving anything, though, because you should never meet your heroes Yeah. in a way, in a material sense. Very, uh, true because like, when you get it like even stupid shit like a fucking new watch or whatever it's cool for a week mm. it's cool for a week and then it's it just still a cool. fucking then it's just a piece of metal and then before which you, always was you start appreciating it less and then you start getting scratches in it and yeah this yeah so then it's like where does the where does the long term fulfillment come from does it come from I guess non-material things like people and like beautiful girls I don't know the answer do, or does it come from just fucking the constant pursuit because I've been reading a lot of stoicism recently okay what are your biggest takeaways I've saw the book somewhere well yeah I mean I, I've read like I'm reading the daily stoic but I'm not reading it daily I'm reading it in like tw 20 days per hour I don't know like I, I guess one of my big takeaways is just like the human condition like we're built to just fucking work whereas when I made that vlog in uh, Mykonos, I was kind of complaining about being in Mykonos, but it wasn't complaining about being in Mykonos. It was just like, maybe I've got to the point where I should just fucking commit myself to a, a pursuit or something rather than always trying to run away to like the next place. And then I read a page in another stoicism book that was about like, you can't run away from like your demons and shit. And I was like, fucking hell, I do that all the time. I, I think the answer is True. going to Bali and I'll somehow feel more fulfilled yeah. there. Or for when two you weeks. do this, you'll be happier. When you do this, you'll feel this way. And then I read a quote that actually being happy is like a terrible human desire. We shouldn't even try and be happy. We should try and have purpose. And then I was like, oh, wow. And then I read David Goggins' book. Well, I already <laughs> read it. But then that cunt, like, seems like a miserable cunt, but he seems fulfilled because his pursuit is just the constant pursuit of 
I don't know, just ruining himself. Yeah, I mean... Through physical endeavours. I don't think you can optimise for happiness. I think to be happy all of the time, it doesn't make sense. Because you then be... It would just then be your baseline. I think happiness is like a temporary emotion as was like set in... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. The way I see it is you just have to have a... Try and have a mission or a vision that is greater than yourself that you are willing to kind of put yourself through pain for. But I think that's how we're designed... Is it to just hunt? <laughs> yeah. In many ways. Andrew Tate tweeted something and I thought it was like the least misogynistic but most like true thing he's ever tweeted, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what was it? It was, if you enjoyed everything, you'd enjoy nothing. It's like very basic, but it's just, oh yeah, of course. It is. If you had steak, well, it's fair, I have steak most days, but if you to have amazing steak every day, you just appreciate it so much less. And that was why yeah. I sold the Lambo because my rain, I had a Range Rover as well, which was like the daily car, which was comfortable. You still have that? No. So they, that came to the end of its finance term and I had the option to give it back. And mm. it's just time to have problems with it and lights flashing on the dashboards. I think, right, perfect time to hand it back. And it was out of warranty as well. So handed it back and then you start driving a two-seater sports car that's the meant to be optimised to be on a track and you're driving on bumpy roads in London pretty much every day even if it's like just two minutes to get to the gym down the road and then the more you use it the less you appreciate and you get in and it's uncomfortable and your back's hurting and then it's bumpy and yeah the more you have something the less you appreciate it and then I just yeah just wanted to get rid of it and now I just enjoy working and then you started getting Rolls Royce Collins for free every few months shout out to Rolls Royce PR helps. team yeah yeah I definitely want to do an episode in the back one of those I'm actually arranging that or a V-Class Landjet which apparently would be better because it's basically the same but way bigger and cheaper to rent yeah well yeah you said we should we should get one as a group I think we should get one that'd be a great idea what do you think Jack put a fucking put, put the group <laughs> chat um, put the group chat as, the, as a custom plate Pog Pursuit of Greatness yeah Right then, fellas, quick one. First official sponsor for the Midnight Pod, Triple Whale. If you want to track your econ metrics properly, all your KPIs, all your dashboards, all your blended ROAS, all that good shit in an easy-to-understand dashboard, as well as proper post-iOS 14 pixel tracking. Know your real numbers, because I didn't in the past, and I got it very wrong. Know where to spend more money, know where to spend less money, all the shit that's going to drive your brand forward. It's what I use every day in my new brands, in the past brands. It's what all the guys on the pod running super successful businesses use as well, and it's what you should be using. TripleWhale.com. Go click the link below, check it out, and use my link. Support the fucking pod. Let's go, boys. Where were we? I've just realised that the fucking pod wasn't actually recording me for like half of it. That's all right, because we've got one ear in shot with the new t- two-ear, anti-two-ear obsession brigade. you got to leave the whole one-ear thing alone. I'm very OCD. There's always a new OCD, and that's, that's the new one. I think we need the opinions of the audience. Yeah, fucking leave a comment if you think my ears are big. Something like that. Um... Where was I? So fucking Lambos, all that shit. Stoicism. Stoicism, yeah, Christ. I genuinely have got to the point in my life now where... Is that my dog coughing? Where I'm trying to fucking... It's kind of... I'm trying to figure out what the fuck actually like... What I actually enjoy. Because I like parts of the process of like building shit. I mean, I probably have weeks where I fucking hate it all. Like in the past week for some reason. Some weeks I get like super gassed about it. 
But then I'm like, ah, oh, I get to that age where it's like, what do people like, what do people do on weekends? They're like, what, what am I meant to do on weekends? Because I, I don't want to fucking go out anymore, like raging or whatever yeah. to nightclubs. I just don't enjoy it anymore. I feel like I shouldn't be working all the time because even my investors and shit who have made really big money and been there and done that tell me, oh no, you need to have a social life and shit. And I'm like, do I have a bad social life or is this normal? Am I just going on Instagram too much? And then a bit of me is like, I want to go to fucking Soho Farmhouse and paint pictures by the fucking lake with some nice tanned girl and like run a hundred miles per weekend or something. Do you know what I mean? I I feel like I'm... I was about to say it sounds like you need a woman in your life. I think there's certainly an argument for that. Yeah. But, Maybe yeah. that's the missing piece. A bit of me thought maybe that was. But what, okay, what about from... So depends a, who the woman is. An interesting question for you then. So, obviously your day-to-day now, building space goods versus, well, over 12 months ago, like sort of the early days of Neon, how has your motivation change like when you were when you were back then a little bit less wise than, well less a lot wise, less wise a lot less wise than you are now what was your primary driver that you were kind of obsessed about versus what honestly I spent more time two years ago thinking about the, ne- the car I was going to get next yeah I, literally mm-hmm. like I'd be on auto trade on like a Monday morning <laughs> but I was like whatever like there's a lot of money coming in and I was a bit of a cunt Whereas now, I mean, from a business perspective, everything I'm doing now is just, it's because I've positioned myself to have the right people around me, which is like the single most important thing in terms of like mm-hmm. investors, mentors, whatever you fucking want to call them. Um, and yeah, learning from those mistakes. But then also, yeah, just everything I'm doing is like, does it help me get towards the goal of realizing like a personal liquidity event, as you say, which makes it sound very fucking grandiose, but... Whereas before I was probably just chasing like revenue numbers even, mm-hmm. which I think Jack is doing a little bit, but um, off the record. But yeah, <laughs> whereas now it's like from a business perspective, trying to, yeah, like how, how can I actually position the brand and the business to be yeah. acquirable? And, and that's actually very different to just chasing like revenue and even profit numbers because- But what's, but yeah, but what's, okay, what's driving you? What's the motivation behind getting that exit? Well, even this, I've started to scare myself a little bit because I've started to worry that even when, not if, when I get to that point, I'll probably still, my mind will still work the same way. Because I, I wouldn't say I'm naturally a very happy person. I'm just not. Like, you I don't like know if that's comp- a good or bad thing. I mean, I, I've very up and down, but I don't know. I find it, I find it quite hard being me sometimes because like the way my mind works. Like, I, I wish I could be satisfied with just more simple things. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if satisfied is the right word, maybe fulfilled. Like I, I said this to my mum on the phone the other day and I was like, I sometimes fucking wish I was like 85 IQ and could just go to the pub every night and that would gas me up. Do you think you try and seek faults in everything? That's an interesting question. Because uh, I don't know. I, th- I think my, I think my default I'm definitely not cynical because I'm very like, optimistic about like the future and shit. But I'm like a cynical optimist. I don't know. But do you find when you go to a restaurant, will you? Would you? Are you more likely to think, "Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice," or would you think, 
Or they've done that wrong. Or they've done that wrong. I don't know. Maybe a bit of both. Okay. Where are you going with this? It's got quite an interesting angle. No, I'm j- I don't know. I'm just... Um... Because, yeah, yeah j- j- just the whole... Well, I guess your question was, how, how am I viewing things differently? I mean, from a business okay. perspective... Yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to think longer term. It's probably the broader answer. But then... But what no? The question was, what is it that about the exit that's that's right, okay, excites yeah, yeah. you and, and drives you? If I'm not even sure it does excite me as much that you see now. Okay. Which is a bit kind of worrying because then I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. So you're more in love with the process than the outcome. But I'm not even sure I'm in love with the process. That's the problem. Like I, I like doing it because I know that I, I fucking have to do something and I'm good at what I do and I believe that I'm actually absolutely doing the thing that I'm yeah. meant to be doing. But when, then, when when do you? I, I think I've started to resent parts of the process because I sometimes wish that I said this on another pod that I did recorded yesterday. So I'm fucking sick of working from home for a start. I feel mm-hmm. like I've got to the age where I would just, ironically, I'd rather be in an office with even if it was just five people, mm-hmm. just all grinding on a shared mission. But then the logistics of that are strange because the irony is I've set up everything that's fully remote. Everyone I work with is fully remote. They're not even in the same city. So then you can't have an office for five people or, or 10 people unless you change things and make it that way. But when, okay, so when... But no, I'm still very motivated to hit that goal and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the intrinsic motivation for that is to continue having freedom. And I've always kind of felt like I had freedom because I have, but I guess have freedom for like decades if I was never to work again, which is different. But then also for like my future family, but then... Yeah, I think about that a lot but then it's like who, who's going to be my future family because yeah. where am I going to meet this future wife for a start to have that family with I mean that, that's a whole other issue and how much do you want to pass down to your family at what point is it too much and then you hear people saying and then like having you know having a tr- having a traditional life with like a wife and kids would be really boring but then like I instinctively think that's what I want to do at some point I don't know if it's just like this crazy red pill Twitter community that's trying to convince me otherwise but it's interesting because I've never done it so I don't know do you know what I mean it's maybe like, see I'm, I'm the opposite basically what I'm saying is I'm trying to figure out because I have a I have like seven years of the past shit of doing this to an extent I've got to the point where I now know what I don't know mm-hmm. but I also um, I have a clearer perspective on what I think I'll feel like in a few years because of a combination of my own experience but also like wisdom <clears throat> from people that have actually been there and done that in terms of like making like eight figures and shit and they're telling me that's not all that and it's like fuck, fuck wait a minute okay um, so I'm already thinking about how do I find fulfilment prepare myself to have fulfilment beyond that point if this thing that I've been chasing since I was like 16 as an entrepreneur might not even fucking like fulfill me do you know what I mean <laughs> does that even make sense I mean, so I'm starting to basically starting to think, yeah, what actually like fulfills me and drives me intrinsically when, beyond just the idea of a large exit, when, which when is going to happen um, inevitably anyway. In your, I mean, in your day to day recently, like over the span of you know, think of any time you've been in business, when do you most feel like in your art you feel most alive? When oh, I know that at your happiest, like what's it's always the most artistic, creative side, which is like almost something I've probably been fighting when I was younger I was like oh I need to be more of a businessman mm-hmm. I don't even consider myself a natural business person 
I've just got quite good at monetizing my crazy pink ideas and shit. And so that's when you feel like most alive, most in your passion, the most... Probably. I almost probably feel more like a fucking movie director or some shit. Well, then there's your answer. I like doing that's, the pod, for example. That's, so that's where, that's where you're probably most in love with the process. But the minute, as a startup company, when you are literally the, the jack of all trades, yeah. it's doing the, the finances yeah, and the back the end. And, but once you're at a certain point of scale, if you just want to, you know, you've got the freedom to think, you know, I want to spend nights and time in creative, then you will be in love with the process. But it's got to suck and it's got to, it can't, that's what you got to remember. It, it can't be easy. It can't always be fun. Like the beauty of it is in the, the pain and the suffering that you go through to build it. And if you get to the exit at the end in three years time, whenever it is you're aiming for, when you get to the exit in the end in three years time, the most of the, you know, the happiness and the fulfillment or whatever, the joy will become, come from knowing and remembering the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice you went to, to get to that point. But this is what I'm saying. I'm worried now that when that happens, I'm starting to think I, I won't even think it was I'll just be like, ah, it's the same. Yeah, well, of course it will. And then it's like, and then, and then you your demons the are thing. still there. All this but sort of shit. But that's, that's life. And and another that's... thing as well is like, because I saw some LinkedIn posts and like fucking LinkedIn is becoming like even worse than Facebook was. So it's just virtue signaling. But like, <laughs> like some founder being like, oh, I exited and I actually wasn't that stressed and I enjoyed it and shit. And then, but do you know what I mean? Like, I sometimes debate, like, should I almost should I like crave the trenches to the point where like I'm actually self-inflicting like mental damage because I'm working like choosing to work all the time or should I be like oh I need work-life balance even though I've never even wanted that because I don't know my life's just always felt like a big blend but then like this like I don't know like primal male inside me is like yeah it should fucking suck and I'll fucking it, like parts of it should suck and I'll enjoy that and like I want to go through like the trenches so I can prove to myself and look myself in the mirror and like crave that challenge like the whole Goggins mindset even, even what's to say now you shouldn't be like completely fulfilled and satisfied now because you've already been through previous businesses the pain the sacrifice the loss the suffering and you're at a point now where you've got a business that's on a tra- on a really positive trajectory that's that's got some success of course still at like you're only not even the first 12 months in but then how come you're not are you happy and satisfied with where you are now when you put everything into perspective do you think of that when I look back 12 months ago I think oh, that's a decent change but then yeah I, th- I think the one thing I've, I'm quite good at is like just getting on with it and getting it done even when I probably subconsciously just fucking hate a lot of the process like, particularly like last year when I was going through all that shit and like everything was actually really shit for a while, at least in my head. But I still managed to fucking start the new thing, start a podcast, do it consistently, get in shape. So like, yeah, it's probably just an element of discipline to the process at that point. So so coming back to your worries about how you're going to feel post-exit. Obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I feel pretty fucking good well, see, for yeah, a so while. Like disappointment just comes from when reality doesn't meet your expectation yeah and so in your mind now obviously you're driven by this idea of this ex as uh, as am i what is your expectation of of how you're going to feel how life is going to be when you get to that moment well i think i've already experienced the disappointment of elements of that as have you with things like the fancy cars and then realizing that two months in 
Yeah. You're as fucking your ass is sore and you feel the same as you did before and and everyone thinks you're a cunt anyway yeah. do you know what I mean so I've experienced that which is probably like what 99% of people think like being rich is like having a fast car um, but yeah obviously there's fucking levels to it of course um, and then even like many elements of the, of the lifestyle stuff I've experienced from a young age anyway so like getting to like that I don't know call it even 100 million quid exit like there's not many things I'd probably do that are any different to stuff I've done before it would just be over a longer timeline and maybe a slightly better version do you know what I mean there's really not much more you can do at 100 million versus 10 million we, or even is. just like making 300 grand a year cash flow I think a bit, like above that point there's diminishing returns yeah so it's, it's interesting but obviously the difference at that, at that point is like you could you could do that forever and never have to work again, which wasn't the case when I was like twenty two, cash flowing from dropshipping. Do you know what I mean? But in terms of that, in the moment, it's like kind of the same. Never having to work, but you. But then it's like I'd want to work option, anyway. Yeah, exactly. If you were given the option to never have to work again, like right now, we could never. You could probably. Well, you, your standards of living would be quite poor, but you could probably like reduce your workload 95% and still get by. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we probably know people that work 5% of the time that we do and somehow manage to scrape enough cash <laughs> to live, to live by. But the beauty is in the beauty is in building and creating. And sure. Go on. Um, have you thought much more about, post like after space goods liquidity event do you know what I, 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 I spend way too much of my life in the future yeah and I don't I think that's actually why I'm probably not naturally that happy even if I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like sad all the time I'm just probably like just getting on with it and then and because I, th I think a lot about the future like probably I reckon I'm capable of thinking like 18 months. It's like a, there's a dynamically moving like 18 month window ahead of me, almost like a torch. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that point, I don't know. Because even like a year, or maybe even a year, because even a year ago, if you asked me what I'd be doing right now, I could probably hazard a guess, but I didn't, I didn't actually, all, all of this is quite mad, even a year ago, because I, I didn't know what business I'd be working on. Mm -hmm. I hadn't started the podcast. I was living in this flat with a fucking girl. Like all that shit, I did not think would be this different. Mm-hmm. So then I think, Christ, like, so let's say this is a three-year plan. It's like in another year, I could actually do some serious damage. And then at that point, what will I think about the next year? So I feel like it's always a moving target. But then the problem with always living in the, in the future, like I'm literally like, even like today, I'm thinking about what I'm doing tomorrow instead of just being here. And it's such a stereotype or a cliche, but like all we have is now. There's so no true. such thing as the future. It mm. doesn't exist. You might get hit by a bus tomorrow. Uh, one a or, or quote tonight. that hit me like a ton of bricks and I always think of it there is there was um, remember the time where you wish you had everything you have now oh. and I like like my life the lifestyle that I have is completely by design because there was a there was a version of me many years ago that dreamed and visualised of having you know living in London having a nice apartment having my workstation my setup running my own businesses mm. and for me that was like the dream and if I was to back then visualising that I was like 
like really vividly in my mind I would just be like that it gets so excited over that idea and then once you achieve that like I say that's the scary thing because once you realise that in like the first few years you have a taste of achieving your dreams yeah you realise that by default the goalposts are always moving and then it's a bit like fuck but if they're always moving I'm never going to be there but then you have to realise that being there is actually here but then that's where I get like so why does it feel like I need the next thing is that something I have to work on myself or is that just the human condition or is that the entrepreneurial condition or is that the way of the superior man the way of the superior man is that just how men are meant to be built or people I don't know but then I, I look at like I said flippantly before like why can people go to the pub every night and be happy with that and probably are happier than me genuinely and more fulfilled are they just wired differently am I just a fucking psychopath like, do you know what I mean it's, it's a process it's something you've got to learn it's a skill learn, learn to love the process learn to at least appreciate it and just definitely I think everyone can ex, uh, can um yeah have more have more gratitude and but it's we're all guilty of it living in the future yeah I, I think another thing I realised and maybe a lot of people would say it anyway but I feel like my entire existence is just the pursuit of like moments that feel like movies and when when life is bland you so do like, you do you are you yeah you do like to fantasise fantasise like, like even, <laughs> even like making like brand films and shit and like I mean everyone probably does it but like even if I'm like walking down the street I'll put a fucking certain dramatic piece of music on and like in my head like everything's like a 16-9 fucking cinematic ratio with a nice colour grade and yeah I don't know I'm almost like it's probably partly why I set this up like this to feel like I'm kind of in this like Stranger Things aesthetic movie and it's like anything that isn't anything that feels mundane and almost normal Mm -hmm. I'm like fuck this I don't want to be here so maybe maybe that's my maybe I'm becoming self-aware. I don't think that's a bad thing to kind of. But like, even like moments with girls or that's whatever. That's what that's what I was referring to when I say like to fantasize about the kind of the trips to Italy and the supercar driving Fuck down yeah, the coast. I do. Yeah. Some some of those bits aren't fantasy, but some of them are still pending fantasy, and they'll probably always be the next one. But yeah, Marbella wasn't a fantasy. Um, but even that, like. <laughs> There's always the next thing. It's a fairy tale. Now it's Italy. With whoever. I don't know who. Yeah, you've got to choose which one. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Yeah, that, that, that actually is how I probably view the world. What have, um, I mean, what advice have you been given by obviously people that you've, investors that you have now that have had, had that exit? I mean, what is their, what is their advice for living in the moment and enjoying the process? it's interesting because I speak to two of them in particular Alex and Jimmy who probably fucking know from this pod who've both had like very big exits and they're both in their early 30s but I feel like it's almost it's probably easy for them to say because they've done it and they're kind of advising like you know a version of their younger self in me Mm -hmm. but by default I don't have their perspective and they don't have my perspective anymore because they're like out of the game or they've, they've like made it. Do you know what I mean? So it's probably easier for them to say like, for example, yeah, one of them telling me like, you need to like enjoy your weekends and have a social life and all this shit. 
And I'm like, yeah, but did you? Did you five years ago? Maybe you did. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think it's something I'm battling with to find, find out what the balance is. Because I would, yeah, I would hate to look back when I'm, I think I've always had a very good balance, by the way. Like more than, more than people that aren't entrepreneurs. Ironically, think, but yeah, what it comes down to, I mm. think everyone's got to practice gratitude a lot more and remember, remind yourself of of what you have, and when you practice gratitude, you live in the present, and then you've also got to have a compelling future that excites you, that that compels you to to work and push through the pain and suffering that comes with running a business, and that's it. And enjoy the game and just bear in mind that whenever you get to that next thing that you want, it's not going to feel any different to how you feel now. Do you think there's anything that doesn't fall within those rules? For example, like people and relationships, whether that's romantic relationships, family, friends, because obviously like, I mean, like my parents say it to me all the time, like, yeah, you're not fulfilled by like things or whatever, because the only thing that can like fulfill you is like people and I'm like yeah I, I kind of see that but for example of course do you think if you one day met your future wife or maybe you already know your future wife maybe um do you think that would fill do you think that would like fill a gap that the pursuit of always being better in like business can never fill because you're never going to get there do you reckon with like people, whether it's a wife or friends or whatever, do you reckon that is like the ultimatum? Is that like, do you know what I mean? Because that's what my parents try to say to me. They're like, I'll say like, oh, this sort of shit. And they're like, yeah, it's because you're pursuing like, you know, material business things. And like, you're never going to get there because the goalposts are always moving by definition. Mm. And that's fine. But like, maybe I should have some more foundational consistency in my life whether that's through people or like where I live or like it do you know what I mean where am I going with this I I would yeah I wouldn't I don't know I disagree I think if you if you feel unhappy without a you know romantic partner then I think a romantic partner is probably not going to make you any happier long term maybe in the short term yeah the you know the honeymoon period but Because like one thing Naval said, right? So I listened to like his three and a half hour compilation thing. Which one? The How to Get it was Rich. Like How to Get Rich. But yeah. I mean, I like how he's very articulate about things. I think anyone should listen to that. Spend three hours listening to it. But he said like the ability to just need nothing and no one in life is like a superpower. And I listened to it on the plane. And I wrote it down. But I would say naturally, I'm not. I don't do that well by myself. Not like, because I'm definitely more of a people person. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck that means. Like extroverted. Like I probably thro- I prefer being in busy rooms, with like conversations and shit. But I'm by myself too much. I think I over-engineer the entire world in my mind and it becomes like repetitive and like ruminative. But then I was like, fuck, if he's saying that's like a superpower, maybe I need to like go to some Japanese monk territory and sit by myself for like 16 years. Philosophical but then stuff for like what that is, point? 
yeah. because I'm always going to have more fun with people and things and like because like you can go so de- deep into philosophy and then it's like well alright why don't you just sleep in a bush like why do you need a house because then you need something I mean this is what we always joke about as boys it's like we talk about like therapy and understanding our demons and stuff it's like if you could take a magic pill where suddenly you become this hippie where you are just extremely happy and fulfilled with everything you have now and have zero desire for any materialistic growth or acquiring wealth or whatever, hmm. would you take that pill? I'd probably say no. I'd, I'd like, say no instinctively. Yeah. But, um, and that's when it comes down to the philosophical stuff. Yeah, that's just, that's like something you just have to kind of work on over decades and decades and decades. But I think, while you're young you just have to build and grow and acquire wealth and then you can focus on the philosophical stuff yeah I agree with that do you think you can enjoy like the more like normal parts of life while trying to be like excellent in your 20s what's a normal part of life I guess like elements of social life relationships with females all this sort of stuff because it's an interesting debate and it's one I've brought up many times on the pod and it's one I think about myself you know should you just cut you know anything that could be deemed a net negative towards the pursuit of your business or future or actually is that going to be you know is that going to neglect your fucking personal growth and that sort of shit Um, where do you stand with that I mean well time is a finite resource I mean, we only have so much of it and I'm only going to be in my 20s once and there are only certain things I can enjoy while I'm in my 20s that maybe I won't be able to enjoy as much in my 30s or my 40s when life changes and maybe there's, you know, a wife or kids involved or whatever, a life partner. And so there's certain things that I want to enjoy more, whether that's going out, clubbing, networking, traveling more, we have the freedom to. But then there's also the paradox of the more you do something, the less you appreciate it. And so for us now, yeah. like there were probably periods where when I was younger that you'd, you'd go out a lot more often. And there are certain restaurants that are just like incredible restaurants that you just go to so often that before you know it, you stop appreciating the food. And Novikov. Yeah, to, to, name, <laughs> to name one. And so for me, the way I see it is, yes, if you want to build something significant, you have to sacrifice for that. And that means saying no to certain things Mm. and not going out as much. And when your business and your team needs you to, you stay in on the weekends, on the evenings and get the job done. But of course there are going to be periods when, okay, you know what? I've deserved this. Let's go out, party, let off some steam. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to say balance because I don't think we as entrepreneurs should operate within the realms of balance it's more extremes and there should be periods where seasons yeah when you're at stage of the business like where you you've you've been maybe I'm, I'm at the minute as well is where you're kind of trying to get something off the ground that requires a hell of a lot of momentum a hell of a lot of work a hell of a lot of bandwidth those are the periods okay well cut the alcohol cut the partying cut the late nights especially this week um monday to thursday this week i woke up at 5 a.m showered working at, at 5 10 5 15 a.m i'd work until 12 do no calls get all my shit done but then i'd also be going to bed at like 9 p.m um well i didn't go to bed at 9 p.m last night for example and like august i've pretty much said yeah i'm not interested in in drinking going out because i've got these huge milestones i need to hit so hmm. 
it's it's about balance and if someone's going to tell you you can have it all and you can go out and you can party you can have fun and you can travel and then you can want to you can build something significant i don't think they're going hand in hand i'm yet to meet a nomad that's had a multi eight figure yeah. nine figure exit nah that's very um, true you're putting me off going bali so it's very true uh, yeah i think seasons there's seasons for everything hello um like, you are the ultimate distraction yeah you gotta have fun right you gotta have fun you gotta enjoy it you don't wanna look back and think fuck I just spent the last decade of my life building this thing to have this one day where I have this amount of money hit my bank account mm. and I've got no memories no stories no experiences yeah th- that's where I think I got it very right cause I used to get people telling me oh you work too much yet yeah, they're the person that hasn't left the country in three years Oh, the stories and experiences, like, yeah, that you've got are incredible. Yeah, some so, very crooked ones. <laughs> very crooked ones. Some that will never, ever be publicised. Probably most. I'm trying to think what other fucking crooked questions I can ask you before we wrap it up. Because there's so many. What direction do you want to take it? <laughs> um, probably relatively PC. Okay. I want to get sued. Um what do you think you enjoy most about this stage of your life if anything or are you more betting on future are you more betting on like a future state I mean it's not a bad fucking life you live in a beautiful riverside flat granted up at 5am hustling um, so to answer your question definitely I'm, I've been through a phase of for me it was the cars like that was always my vice in terms of like yeah, peak materialism the, the, the dream is always have my own business get to a certain level of success move to London surround myself with an amazing circle have one or two kind of nice cars go to the gym every day have a great routine and just work and then you do that and you realise like we talked about it's fun, it's a dopamine hit at the start, and then you just kind of want to progress into the next thing. And now I've like I've stripped back my life a little bit. Again, probably out of like where I want to sacrifice things, I want less distractions in my life. Right now I don't have I don't have a car, which is actually kind of inconvenient because when I'm trying mm. to travel around the country it's borrowing or renting cars or getting drivers, but I'll get something soon. But um I'm at a point where I'm just trying to understand more about, okay, what is it that makes me happy? Practice gratitude a lot more and think in longer term time horizons because previously, again, early 20s, it was like, okay, where can I be in six months, 12 months, next month? Really wasn't thinking further than than 12 months. Now I'm thinking more like five, 10, 20 years, what are the longer term plays? And I'm at a point now with the real estate business, okay, I understand what the play is going to be there for the next 10 to 20 years with luxury property partners there's a play there for the next 5 to 10 years and yeah not that I'm thinking 10 years in the future and just obsessed about that I'm enjoying the day today but I'm thinking about okay what am I going to enjoy dedicating the next 10 years of my life to what's the mission what is the industry I want to change who are the people I want to help in the process what impact do I want to have I say impact like not like humanitarian impact Mm. but it might um, become that might morph into that uh, later in life yeah for sure I think 
I think your your motivations and your 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 missions will change as you get older and more mature and certain needs are met. So So if you're 50 years old, mm-hmm. how would you describe your life? How, how do you see it being? So the vision and I have when I'm 50, do you have a specific vision. Um for that age, that sort of age. I think at that point I'd want to be removing myself a lot from the day-to-day probably for a little bit and I've always had this vision of just taking a massive yacht and just spending six months on the yacht just like sailing around the world and having a wicked gym on the boat having a buzz cut haircut like a like a fucking sailing yacht or are we talking like super yacht like a super yacht yeah and just living on that and having a cool gym on the yacht amazing food friends and reading books and stuff I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what my motivations will be. I don't know what there'll be kind of the impact I want to have at that stage of my life. Probably a family at that point. I'd like to think a family at that point. And my family is still around, looking after my family, of course, and I mean my parents, whatnot. So, um, yeah. It's mad to think that if you don't die, you will be that age. Do you know what I mean? That was probably the deepest thing you've said all this, pod- this podcast. As in like, provided it's, nothing it's, bad happens. Well, time is inevitable. Like we're all aging. I find aging and time very scary. Mm-hmm. We're all moving at the same pace, but you, you can't change like your place in that timeline. I think about that a lot. Like inevitably, you will be 50. And but, yeah. the decisions you make now will determine where you're going to be at 50. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of this generation is fucked because social media has become, even even me, like I was saying before, I, I fucking deleted Instagram from my phone, deleted TikTok from my phone. I probably re-download it like once a week. But it's such a drain. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people get to maybe, I've probably noticed it even in myself, like you get to like your mid-20s or whatever and you're like, ah, fuck, maybe I should cut the noise. Like there's a lot of bullshit, a lot of people I'm pretending I care about following you know so, watching stories like responding to dms even like I'm, I'm sorry if you dm me from the pod i basically don't respond to fucking anyone anymore because there's too many i used to respond to all of them but yeah. then it's like it's not a priority i can't do it so that so, what, so that is another thing i've experienced actually now that i'm i'm 25 halfway through my 20s so when you're in school up until the age of 18 you're not really that responsible for yourself you know you your school teachers looking after you, parents looking after you you're not out in the world like in charge and complete control of your own destiny. And so when you're like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you don't see the longer term effects of your decision making, yeah. your positive behaviors and negative behaviors. And then once you get to like, so for me at 25, for example, now I've been, let's say left school seven years ago, you can then look back and see over a, a much longer time span how certain behaviors and certain habits and certain um, decisions that you make just on an everyday basis add up over time to get you to a certain point. And then you mm. can reevaluate, okay, what are the the belief systems I have that I've been holding on to that really I need to let go of? What are the yeah the habits and behaviors that really aren't conducive? What are things that I've kind of 
learned from my parents that I thought were right that actually never really took a moment to challenge those beliefs. You don't think always to like challenge the beliefs that your parents instill upon you, not not consciously, but you just pick up so much of who you are from your family and your environment as a kid. And yeah, you just got to, I think, be self-aware of all of those things and start to to change them because like you say, then time is inevitable and if I keep making the same decisions and behaving the same way I have over the last five years, how is that going to determine where I'm going to be in the next five years? And hmm. how you make decisions today is how you're going to make decisions forever. And unless unless you change, unless you change that, and I think a lot of people have got can't don't understand how to focus. They have, I think, so many people have now, and we're going to see the longer term effects of this the psychology around money and spending money is just completely, I think for the social media, it's it's gonna, people are just not gonna understand how to save money and acquire money. They're just spending it on things to make them look good and consumer debt is gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think I saw something today, like credit card debt is at all time highs. And I think that's only gonna get higher and higher and higher. Of course that's due to the inflation a little bit as well, but but yeah, that's one thing I'm becoming more self-aware of. Yeah, social media is a weird one because a bit of me wants to fucking like, n- like not even have a profile and just go like rogue. But then I'm like, A, it's basically the best dating app available. The best mm-hmm. dating platform. Best and networking like, app. And, and networking, it's fucking everything. So if I don't have a profile, it's like if you don't build your own personal brand, people will build a brand for you and they're probably doing a bad light. That's well, these, the these platforms these are designed like I bet you when Instagram or, or Facebook or at their board meetings, the main KPI How can we that they're keep measuring yeah, is what is the daily, the amount of time users are spending on it every day. And they want to do whatever they can to make you as addicted to the app as possible. And it is an addiction. How many times do you end up like picking up your phone, you're scrolling on Instagram? It's and insane. You didn't even realize you just picked up the phone. It was literally this. Um, you know pattern that you've just trained your brain to do to pick mm. up the phone go to this app start scrolling and you're just in a trance and yeah if you don't Instagram can very quickly use you instead of the other way around yeah I just find myself like raw guilty of it I, I like it as like a photo album and it's like a you know in 20 years time the first generation will have this you're like entire youth is on Instagram. Mm. I don't know if that's good or bad yet, but it's a good way to store memories. But then it's like, why am I posting? Why do I care who's fucking seen my story? Do I care? Should I care? Do I only care about a few people watching it? Like, yeah, and why it, am I posting it? All it all comes I mean, down to the intention behind it. And you, you have to question that. For some people mm. it is branding and personal branding and networking and- Yeah, because like I posted this pod, for example, before we came on, let's put on my story. Like promotion, I guess, but it's, it's also promotion. like context and it's what I do a lot of the time. And yeah, maybe there's nothing wrong with that, but then it's like, yeah, I'm just, should I be reading books and speaking to real people more rather than just yeah, but you can posting? Do both. And, it's not mutually exclusive. Yeah, not, of course. It's not either, oh, I'm sucked into this digital world. I think scrolling on TikTok for like two hours a day before bed is a problem, which my ex-girlfriend used to do. I, I think anyone I, listening I think to this- I think TikTok is mad. Have to delete TikTok off your phone. I've, I've not had TikTok on my phone for months. I mean, to be fair, I'd never actually used it, toxically really. Toxically addictive. I looked at a few things and I... But yeah, that is mad addictive. And it's like trash as well. It's not even people you know. Mm-hmm. 
in most cases like for you page or whatever crazy I saw Instagram said in a video recently how they, they, they feel they're behind TikTok in terms of the algorithm figuring out what content you want and I think that's what TikTok has nailed is the more you scroll and the more you engage the more they know about you and then the more relatable content I saw on a push. Joe Rogan clip there's some terms things basically long story short like they're, they're terms everyone signs up to not really knowing is that they can like record everything you've ever done on your phone including like what you're typing for they can like look through your camera all this sort of shit well, there's I some conspiracy get. that it's like a Chinese owned thing Maybe. to get the world's information I've noticed recently well a couple times when I went on in a, on a couple apps as well there's a pop-up that comes on the phone it said this app wants to connect with other devices on this network as in yeah if you're on the same wi-fi network my phone wants to communicate with yours and someone told me that in tiktok if i'm around you and our phones are connected via the network it's going to start showing me things that you're interested in as well because they think if we're together they might be interested in us i don't know who knows? I don't care. I actually, I'm all for, like, I would rather see content and see ads that are tailored towards me. I'd rather see that than irrelevant stuff. So I don't mind it if my phone's listening. To, I've got nothing to hide. I don't care if my phone's listening to me or yeah, they know true. what I'm typing into Google. Yeah, like, neither do I really. Yeah. It's just, it's just the way the world's going. Isn't it? mm-hmm. It's mad. It's mad. All right. Final few questions. Go on then. Have some of this wine. I, pr- I don't know if I asked you this last time. Or if I didn't. In fact, first question. What's been the hardest thing since you got into this whole property thing? Maybe when you were like 18. Or even just fucking life. To this point. Hardest in what sense? Hardest in like hard work or hardest in something like you've had to overcome? The most challenging thing or period, or I guess it's a broad question, and why? Um, I t- probably probably the point of of failure at a certain point in my journey. I would have talked about this on my, on the last one we did, where I built up a certain amount over a number of years, and I pretty much had it lost lost it all. Um, trying to get to that next level, just fell into the wrong business opportunity but it was a it was a lesson that was more valuable than anything I could have lost at the time anyway so uh, so probably that and then rebuilding from the ground up so however many years back so that'd be the hardest the hardest thing I've gone through but then other than that just the um, I don't know just I think more so the stress of like just trying to build teams and, and manage people and understand where your own weaknesses are and having to like stay stare at yourself in the mirror and, and understand like really have your weaknesses exposed which which just comes up inevitably when you're running a business you just you think oh fuck I'm not good at that I'm not good at that I'm not good at that and you then beat yourself up over it get in your own head and it's a bit mm. of the I mean you talk about all the Dunning-Kruger where you think you think you're at the top of the peak. You so think, true. "Oh, I'm sick of this." And then, if anyone if looks at the Dunning Kruger chart, and then it's like the more you learn and the more you know, and the better you get, the more you realize how little you know in the grand scheme of things, and then your confidence completely drops. So a lot of people on Twitter that need to 
go over that crest at the top. Yes. And realise they know nothing. There is. A lot of 18-year-old dropshippers. Where do you want to be in a year? How's that look? We've talked a lot about 50 years. But um, I think 12 months. That's so, certainly my So in a year, line. luxury property partners, between 50 and 100 agents, uh, more quality over quantity. On the real estate side of things, have the new equity fund set up, raised a significant amount of money and bought a few assets. I mean, we've not talked about that and probably there's, there's not actually a lot I can say for compliance reasons right now until I get certain things signed off because if I say too much, it'll be a financial promotion if I'm promoting a fund which is regulated activity. And yeah, construction underway on, on a few of the deals we're working on. Living in the same place, doing the same thing, hanging with the same friends, working the same hours. Probably just doing the same as I am now, but the numbers on the screen are just a little bit bigger. You're going to run another marathon, aren't I? Oh, wait, you did an Ironman. You've done a marathon. I've not done a marathon on its own. The only marathon I've ever, ever was in the ran was at the end of the Ironman. Yeah, it's more impressive than my attempt. That was, yeah, that was a bit of a pain cave. Well, no, to be fair, running a sub three marathon I've is going to be... I've done it yet, but I'm going to go for a half marathon PB this weekend. When is the marathon? Eight weeks. Oh, you Sunday the 2nd of October. So either, so before the, the Ironman... The longest I've ran a week before was 17 miles and I did that like the week before. I was, well, fuck, I was gonna see how far I can run and like got to 17 miles. I was like, fuck, I can't run anymore. And then you did 26. And then 26. At the end of the Ironman. But then also one, you've got all the adrenaline, you've got everyone clapping and cheering your name and you think, fuck, I've come all this way. <laughs> yeah. You can't even feel, and to be fair, I'm probably discrediting myself here. It's, it's run, walk, run, walk. And they're like, I mean, it was in Frankfurt. It, it won't be run walk for me going sub three. That'll be fucking exactly. sprinting. Um, but in Frankfurt, it was along the river and then literally every 50 metres, they had a table of like biscuits, Red Bulls, everything. Oh, really? So it was like... I hope I'll be getting a few biscuits. Yeah. It was all right. It was, t- it was That was the hardest physical challenge I've ever done. But if you train for it and you zone in, it's just one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I'm fucking keen for it to be fair. I hope I didn't peak too early. It's my keeping my shin safe. See, that's damaged. harder though, because that's at a different, that's at like max heart rate. You're going to be running at the... Yeah, like 170 heart rate, I think, yeah. the whole thing. Like Ironman is just, it's... Probably average at least. 14 hours, but it's, yeah, you, you're at like 140, 150, probably 150. Yeah. Heart rate, which is sustainable. Yeah, fuck, we'll see. I love David Goggins, like saves on my Spotify, the cookie jar. Yeah, what if your what if your headphones run out of battery? You forget. To I was charge thinking this. Before. Fuck, I don't know. We'll see. I'll figure it out. Right, final question. I'm going to mix it up for once. I always ask about three bits of advice. But if you could give one broad piece of advice, and it's broad because it's going to everyone watching, just assuming that a lot of them want to do something <laughs> and be great in some way. As a young person, what's the one piece of advice on reflection? Giving you are so young, but you know, for 18, 19, whatever. What would you say? And you can only say one. So it doesn't don't make it property specific. Yeah, there are there are a couple of a couple of things. Or maybe say a few. Um Well the first thing is like you need to you need to you need to aim high, believe that it is possible and believe that you can do it. Like you just need to have kind of that delusional sense of self belief that 
I can do this. And unfortunately, a lot of people that maybe been brought up in kind of unsupportive environments, they've had people tell them, you know, you won't be able to do this, you can't do that. And you need to reprogram your mind to you know, teach yourself that, you know what, if if he can do it, I can do it. And that's mm. the way I look at anything. I look at, if he can do that, there's no reason why I can't, I can't do that. Within, you know, certain, to, to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, I'm sure you say the same, like anything that I've ever done and, you know, I, I don't think I've achieved anything of significant value, but from just what I've learned and the journey that I've been on, I think anyone could follow my footsteps. And then probably the second thing is you... The, the, the generation we're in now and the benefit we have of being in this generation is you can learn from people that are so far ahead of you just through the power of, of online content. You go back a hundred years, if you want to learn something, you're restricted to the library down the road or the people that you knew personally within a personal network that lived in the same town or village as you. Imagine me going back to my hometown, you going back to York and the only people you can learn from about business and not the people you've met on Instagram, not the people you've seen online, but the people that live in York. It, like, it's so much more difficult. That's Whereas where I left. Now I think it's important that you consume intently. You understand, okay, what is it I want to learn? What does that need to learn? And who are the best people to learn from? And just dive into their content and invest in yourself and your education, your skills. I mean, if you've got a thousand pounds or five thousand pounds in your bank account investing that into property and getting a 10 percent return a year is is insignificant in terms of the um returns you can get by just improving your skill sets learning marketing learning how to you know build out shopify store or um how to raise money from investors or whatever whatever just that'd probably be the main thing because i think that's all i've done is i've just spent god knows how many hours in front of a screen learning from people and i just find it fascinating that i can literally watch and listen to billionaires that mm. have spent the last three four five decades even more playing a game and they can just do an hour talk sharing all of their lessons all of their learnings not all of them and they but get like three interviews yeah and what's that saying we are drowning in information starving for knowledge isn't they starving for wisdom starving for wisdom mm. yeah True, isn't it? So yeah, that'd be my final two cents. Yeah, no, it's good. Part two then. Wrapped. Season cool. two, episode something. Subscribe to the fucking pod. There's plenty coming. And we'll see you on the next one. Cool. Cheers for watching. Peace.